I won't offer God something that costs me nothing. Have you ever heard that statement before? It's a biblical statement, and it was made by a person during a time of national tragedy. It was made by King David. David made that statement whenever it came time after he had taken the census of the fighting men. We see recorded in David's life two major incidents of sin. Do you know what those two major incidents are? His public failure in two major areas. you know what those were? Bathsheba. Heard that one? And the one that's not quite as easily that comes to mind for many of us is the one I just mentioned earlier. When David recorded the number of the fighting men. Now we understand this. You and I understand that we have a book in the Bible called what? Numbers. We have a book in the Bible called Numbers in which God recorded the names and the numbers of the tribes. So God is not against record keeping. God is not against counting. The problem with David was the issue of his heart. Because when David counted the men, it revealed the pride and self-sufficiency that he had in his heart. David lived for 10 months. Joab said to him, whenever David decided to count the men, Joab said to him, David, don't do this. Don't sin against the Lord in this way. And David just disregarded his advice. And he went headlong doing the counting of the men. He determined in his heart that's what he was going to do. For 10 months, the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, prompted him. But during that 10 months, David did not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Whenever David was done... Whenever they came back with the number of men, after David had heard that number, David's heart was stricken with guilt. And his conscience revealed the sin that was in his life. And he calls out to God, and he says to God, I'm guilty, I've sinned. I've done a foolish thing. The next morning, God speaks through a prophet whose name was Gad. And the prophet came to David and said, David, you get to live with the consequences of your choice. Do you know, friends, that you and I, even though God is very gracious and merciful, you and I oftentimes have to live with the consequences of either your sin or mine. The sad thing about sin is consequences don't necessarily know limitations, Sometimes you and I have to live with the consequences of sins that other people have committed. How unfair that seems. But God gave David a choice. He said, there's three things that you can choose from. You can have three years of famine. You can have three months. Three months in which you flee from your enemies. Or you can have Three days of a plague. And David said this. David said, I know that God is gracious and I know that God is merciful and I know that he's a good God. I don't want to fall into the hands of men. Let me fall and throw myself upon the grace and the mercy of God. And David did that. And God allowed a plague to come. The Bible says that from Gad to Beersheba, this plague spread. In that area, 70,000 people were killed in just three days. 
Now you can imagine what was happening all around. Can you imagine if in Pennsylvania, 70,000, Israel's much smaller than Pennsylvania, but can you imagine if in an area the size of New Jersey, 70,000 people die in three days? It was spreading. This plague was coming, and it was headed, the next target of this plague was the city of Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up our portion of Scripture. In First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 16. And it says this. It says, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I am the one who sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? O Lord my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family. Do not let this plague remain on the people. The angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word of Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. While Arana was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached. And when Arana looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, Let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Aaron said to David, take it. Let my Lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledge for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. But King David replied to Aaron, and I want you to underline this in your Bible. No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. Would you bow your heads for prayer? Father God, we thank you today for your word. And we ask you this morning that your word would come alive to us. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say. Lord, I thank you that your word is already anointed. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, I pray that you would anoint your servant's lips. And I pray that you would anoint the ears of your people so that they can hear what the voice of the Lord would say today. And we'll give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we said to you earlier, this is a time of national tragedy. 70,000 people have died in three days. And no one knows what's going to happen next. David has gathered the elders of the people with him. They have clothed themselves in sackcloth. They have humbled themselves. They have fasted. They have sought the Lord. And they got a word. They got a direction from the Lord. God spoke through Gad and he told him to go to Arana's threshing floor. And at that place, David was to build an altar. Something needed to be done. 
Something had to be done. Leadership had to step up and, and take the place. And someone had to do something to stop this destruction. The people understood that when David goes up to the threshing floor, he understood and he saw the angel of the Lord standing with the sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David said to Aaron, he said, Aaron, I need this. I need your threshing floor. Because I have a word from the Lord that I'm supposed to build an altar here. And when we build the altar, we believe that God, that he'll stop, that he'll stop this plague. Now, Aaron's response, Aaron had seen, he had seen the angel of the Lord himself. And Aaron says to David, he says, David, take it. It's yours. You don't have to pay me anything. You can have it. Now, we have to understand here that this threshing floor would have had the wheat for the offering. It had the oxen, and it had the sledges that the oxen pulled as they were threshing the wheat so that they could just burn the wood. They had the oxen there. Everything they needed was right there. But David, instead of saying to Aaron, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, the Lord provided. There was something in David's heart that he understood That he couldn't offer another man's sacrifice. That God was requiring something more of him. And you know, sometimes there's sacrifices that people offer to God. That it would be better if you just kept it. Because sometimes the things that we try to offer to God are more of an insult to him. We're not talking about the widow with the two mites who offered her sacrifice to God. God was pleased with that. He was honored by that. But whenever you and I try to give God the things that we don't want, the cripple, the lame, the sickly sheep and goats, it turned God's heart against them because of their disrespect towards him. David could have said, great, thanks. But did you hear what David said? David said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. I will not offer another man's sacrifice to God. A cheap sacrifice is worse than no sacrifice at all. There's many people who in churches and in society today that say something that sounds very similar to what David said, but it's just the opposite. They say, I won't offer to God something that costs me. Much like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was, what an incredible guy. He comes to Jesus, and he says, he talks to Jesus, and Jesus talks to him, he says, all these things he had done, and Jesus says, well, you just lack one thing. What I want you to do is I want you to go and sell all that you have, and then come and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad. Now, I want you to notice that this, Jesus did not chase him down, and offer him a better deal. He didn't say, no, this doesn't apply to you. He went away sad, and Jesus left him walk. How about that? We do not find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus chased down the rich young ruler and said, hey, you've been doing really good here. Only sell 3% of what you have. Only sell 2% of what you have. Well, would you? We don't find Jesus doing that. We find that Jesus allowed him to walk away. There's many people who are willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them too much. 
But David said, I'm not going to give God something that won't cost me anything. You and I should expect that following Jesus is going to cost you something. We should expect, we should know, we should be assured of this fact that following Jesus is going to cost you something. And many times it's going to cost you things that are very dear to you. Many times it's going to cost you everything to follow him. But that's the type of people who Jesus wants to follow him. Those who are willing to abandon everything and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Many times we have people, though, I'll follow Jesus as long as he doesn't ask this of me or that of me. Would you listen to the words of Jesus? Jesus' very words. These are not some pastor's words. These are not some religious leader's words. These are not a good man's words. These are the savior of the world's words. Listen to his words. It says that in Luke chapter 14, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. What's the next words? What's that say? It says, he cannot. That is not a typographical error. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Next verse. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He says, if you don't, in comparison to your love for me, If when you compare your love for your father, and we're to love our children, and we're to love our father and mother, and our our brothers and sisters, and we're to honor them. But if in compared to our love for God, if our love for God and our relationship to our fathers and mothers, if in comparison, that it's not like we hate our father and mother compared to our love for God, he says that you cannot even be my disciple. And if you won't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. That's what Jesus is saying. That he doesn't stutter. He doesn't mince words. He says, if you're not willing to give up everything to follow me, you absolutely cannot be my disciple. He says, then he goes on to say, verse 28, suppose one of you first wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is not doing a seminar on construction financing. Well, you know, if you're going to build, 
okay? He's not talking about construction financing or raising money. Nor is Jesus talking about political diplomacy or political negotiations. Jesus is talking about counting the cost of being his disciple. If you're not willing to pay the price, then that's fine. That's your choice. I just kind of picture Jesus saying, oh, please pay the price. No, he doesn't deal with people like that. He doesn't run, well, would you give me 1%? He doesn't do that. He says, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to know it's going to cost you everything. So before we even get started here, you need to come to that understanding. Are you willing to pay it all? Count the cost. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to know what it's going to cost you. If you're not in, that's okay. If it's too much for you, that's all right. Don't even start. But if you're going to be my disciple, and if you're going to follow, see, what we try to do is we try to lure them in. I said in the first service, you know, like the one-minute Bible. What a joke. I know. I understand. I understand we want to try to, you know, help people along and lead them a little bit at a time. But why don't we just be honest with them and say, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be incredible sacrifices. And you will not survive on the one-minute Bible. Let me just tell you that. If you're basing your life on the one-minute Bible and you read it like every two weeks, that's not what God called you to. He didn't call us to that. One-minute Bible, that's the kind of Christians we're trying to build. We want to build one-minute Bible Christians and they read it like every couple weeks. You and I need massive doses of the Word of God. If you're going to be transformed, because Jesus isn't into like little changes, He's into life transformations. He's not wanting you to just to kind of look a little bit like Him. He wants to totally revolutionize your life and mine. And otherwise, otherwise, our lives are ineffective. And it says, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing other than to be thrown out in the manure pile. The idea that we have there is you and I need to be willing to pay the price. Following Jesus is going to cost you. And if you don't want to follow him, that's fine. That's your choice. But know in advance that if you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you. Let's go back to our original text in verse 25. So David paid Aaron 600 shekels of gold for the site. Now there's several portions of scripture. This account is also found in 1 Samuel. And there's some differences in there. In 1 Samuel, he paid him, I believe it was 50 shekels of silver. And what he paid him for there was for the oxen, the sledges, and for the grain. Here, David buys the whole site, all of the property, the property surrounding it. And so he purchased this whole property. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and listen to this. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering. Then the Lord spoke to the angel and he put his sword back into his sheath. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Aaron of the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. The tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the desert, and the altar burnt offering were at that time on the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be here. 
and also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. It is incredible what takes place in a man or a woman's life when they are willing to pay the price. Now, you can spend your whole life in a spiritual sense trying to get the bargains. You can spend your whole life in a spiritual realm trying to get the discounts, to pay as little as you have to. But I want you to know that following Jesus is going to cost you. It will cost you. Being a disciple of Jesus is going to cost you. And the longer you try to negotiate it away, what it kind of shows is it shows your own spiritual immaturity. I was thinking about when I grew up at home. You ever notice that when you grow up at home, the things that your parents ask of you seem like a lot. 1978. My dad was working in New Stanton, Pennsylvania at a Volkswagen factory. Uh, He was an electrician and he traveled out there. They were building the Volkswagen Rabbits. How many of you have seen the Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel? Remember those? 1978. Baby Blue. Baby Blue. That's what dad got. When you look at it now, like my dad's a pretty big guy. And to see our whole family like in this little Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel. But it got 50, like 51 miles to the gallon. So that's what we had. I remember one of the things that dad would ask us to do is he wanted me to mow the lawn. And he also liked me to wash the windows on the inside of his car. Now, did you ever notice as a kid when they ask you to do that, you're like, oh, maybe you aren't like this. And man, I mean, the reality of it is if you get in there and you knock it out, it's going to take you 10 to 15 minutes to wash the windows of the car. And it'll take you, you know, maybe an hour. It would have taken us about an hour to mow the lawn. And so, but when you're a kid, it just feels like, oh. Man, they worked me to death. I can't believe they asked so much of me as you're washing the windows. If we would quit complaining about it and get it done, we would already been done. But we were standing there mowing and, and how hard it is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As you grow up and get a different picture of life, and you think, if someone would pay for my health insurance, they'd buy all my meals, most of my clothes. Hmm. If they'd give me a place to stay and clean up, and wash my laundry, <laughs> I'm thinking this is a pretty good deal. Huh? I'm thinking about moving back home, but they won't let me. <laughs> like, if I could move back home for mowing the lawn and washing the windows, I'd wash the windows every day. I mean, I wouldn't even let the grass grow. I would mow, I'd mow the lawn every day. I'd even wash the outside of the windows for that deal. But see, sometimes you got to grow up and mature before you realize what a deal you were getting. When you're young and when you're immature, you can't see how good you have it. You can't see the value of what you have. Well, David got a bargain that day. David did not try to give God someone else's offering. David refused He refused to give God something that wouldn't cost him. David was willing to pay the price. And when he paid the price that day, he got a bargain. Look to the person next to you and say, I enjoy bargains. And you know this? You and I get bargains every single time we deal with God. Every time you enter into relationship with Christ... And you buy of him. What does he say to us? I believe it's in Revelations. Revelations chapter 3 when he spoke to the Laodicean church. 
He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich and white clothes to wear so that you may cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love and rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent every time that you and I, don't you wish you had bought some gold? $1,800 an ounce. It would have been good a while back to buy some gold. Well, when you buy from God, when you buy from him, you and I, God does not take advantage of his children. God does not price gouge his children. But when you and I trust him and buy from him, we get things that are of true value, of true worth. Whenever David purchased that property, God not only stopped the plague, but God sent down fire from heaven and it consumed the altar. That was like a sign to David of God's forgiveness and of God's acceptance and of God's presence with them. But he did something else. David had this desire in his heart. It had been a long burning desire within David's heart to do something for God. David was a mover and a shaker. He expanded the kingdom of God. He expanded the nation. He expanded their boundaries. He built up great wealth and he built beautiful palaces and he built walls around the cities of Jerusalem and he strengthened the fortresses. He did all these things, but there was something in David's heart that he said, God, I want to do something that brings glory to you. God, I want to do something that brings glory to you. I want to build a house for you where your glory can dwell. I want to build a place, Lord, where your presence dwells. Lord, you're worthy of it, and I want to build something for you. That day, when David purchased that ground, he purchased, and some of you may not know this, he purchased the property upon which the temple was to be built. Before this, David's Jerusalem did not include, David's Jerusalem, the walls of that city were smaller. It did not include the area, Mount Moriah, by the way. Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. This property, this temple mount, did not include, it was not included in the city at that time. Arana owned the property. And whenever David bought it from him, that became, and God's presence dwelt there and he consumed a fire david's like this is the place this is the place god revealed to him that this is the place where we're going to build the temple he didn't know that in advance but when he was willing to pay the price can i tell you something else about this story david was a man of war there was blood on his hands david was a very powerful warrior very successful warrior And God said, you're not going to be the one who's going to build this temple for me because you're a man of blood. David had the privilege of drawing up the plans. David had the privilege of setting up the stone cutters and getting the materials. David had the privilege of giving, it would be the equivalent of billions today, of billions of dollars of money, of gold, of silver, bronze that you couldn't even count. We, could not even, we couldn't even imagine how much money and resources went into the temple. David had the privilege of arranging all of that. But I want, you to show, I want to show you this. When we started this story, we told you that it started, this situation started because of David's sin. Remember? 
he had sinned. What were David's two biggest mistakes that he made in his life? Bathsheba and counting the people. When you and I are willing to pay the price, when you and I are willing to pay the price, you got to hear that. When you're willing to pay the price, when you're not trying to shortchange God, when you're not holding back anything from him, but when you're willing to pay the price, God is able to take the biggest mistakes in your life. Where was the temple built? Right here on this threshing floor. Who was the one who would build the temple? His son Solomon, the daughter of his wife Bathsheba, with whom he had committed adultery. Listen to me. When you and I are willing to hold back nothing from God, only God can take a man's two biggest sins and build a temple out of them for his glory. And you need to hear that. I'm going to tell you something. When you will sell yourself out to God, when you won't try to hold back from him, when you won't try to shortchange him, God can take... Now, every time that people saw Solomon, in the back of their heads, they knew where he was from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David married her after he killed her husband. It was always in people's minds. I'm sure that people were gossiping behind his back. How many of you are responsible for 70,000 people being dead? Because of your sin. Two things that would have caused the most sorrow and shame. The most regret and remorse. God combines those two things and builds a temple where he says, this is where my glory is going to dwell. My friend, he can do that in your life. He's longing to do that. And he's got a bargain for you. But you can't be going out trying to work him down, negotiate him down. You've got to pay whatever price he asks of you. Whatever he requires of you, you pay that price. But you be assured of this beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you pay that price, you're getting a bargain because there's something else attached to it. You may not be able to see it right now and you may not be able to understand it. And in the natural sense, it might not make any sense. But I want you to know something. That every time Jesus said, I counsel you, buy of me gold refined in the fire. Buy from him. Purchase from him. He's not going to take advantage of you. He's going to take the biggest mistakes in your life. And only God can take the biggest mistakes in your life that cause 70,000 people to die and cause the world to be embarrassed and David to be humiliated before everybody. All that garbage. And whenever he sells himself out to God and doesn't hold anything back, God's able to take that and bring glory to himself. But it's not going to happen. It wouldn't happen in David's life if David had been like, well, no, I, I don't really. No, I, I, that, you're asking too much from me. As we close, I just want to ask you this. What's God asking of you today? What's your price? Almost like at an auction. You ever see people, they're bidding and I'm out. Too expensive for me. Is it your pride? Is it your will? Is it your money? Is it your time? Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to work for God and you're going to serve God, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you things in your family. Yeah, it'll cost you. There's prices that you pay to serve in ministry, to serve other people. There's a price that God requires of us. You can't be his disciple. You can't. So we may as well just, you know, cut to the chase. Let's not play games. Let's just make up our mind. Either put up or shut up. Either step away from the table and just say, no, you're asking too much. Or lay it all out there and say, God, whatever you ask of me.
I'll do. Lord, whatever you require of me, I'll do it. Lord, whatever you want from me, I'll give it to you. And know this, know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. You might seem like a fool to other people, but friends, you're getting a bargain anytime you deal with God. You're getting a treasure. Father God, I thank you today for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you're able to take the biggest mistakes in our lives. For David, it was the sin of Bathsheba. And it was his pride and arrogance that caused him to count the people. 70,000 people died as a result in three days of one man's choice. And yet, Lord, when he came to a place of repentance, and he said, God, I won't try to give you anything that doesn't cost me. Lord, whatever price you ask of me, I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. Oh, the beauty, the beauty of the grace of God in which God takes ugliness and embarrassment and shame and sorrow and regrets and turns it around and lets it be a place where he builds a temple for his glory to dwell. God, I pray in this sanctuary, in this place, that there be some people who just say today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, whatever it takes today, you can't ask me too much. You can't set the bar too high for me, God. Because whatever you ask of me, I'm going to give you everything that I have. Lord, I pray that as people do that, I pray that you would pour into their lives your spirit, that you would strengthen them, that you would empower them. Lord, I pray that each of us would count the cost of what it means to be your disciple. I pray for a spirit of conviction. I pray for the church to get their conviction back. I pray that we wouldn't be haphazard Christians and live lives of indifference, that we wouldn't be looking for the easiest route, but that, God, we would determine and set our hearts like flint that I will do the will of God. And it's a privilege to sacrifice for you. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's what you deserve, Lord, our lives. We offer our very lives as living sacrifices to you. Holy and acceptable. That's our reasonable act of worship. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified. And I pray, God, that your word would be, it would be settled in people's hearts. Those simple things. I think that's a word for somebody that there's simple things that God's asking of you. And you don't understand it, but that whenever you respond in the affirmative to God, he's going to open up doors for you. But you need to do it not to get that door opened. You need to do it out of love and respect and honor for him. But as you obey the voice of the Lord, and as you surrender that part of your life, all different types of issues that it can be, but as you surrender that part of your life to the Lord, and you say yes to him, you know, the word says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. God's a good God. And he has good things in store for his people. He'll exchange things that are of temporal value for things that are of eternal value. He'll exchange things that seem like they're worth something for true treasures. But you have to trust him in this process. So God, I pray your blessing be upon your people today. Anoint them, empower them, and allow them to live out their lives just to glorify and honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.